Get ready for all the craziness of small business. It's exactly that craziness that makes it exciting and totally unbelievable. Small Business Radio is now on the air with your host, Barry Moltz. Well, thanks for joining this week's radio show. Remember, this is your final word in small business. Today has been doing since the beginning of the pandemic. I'm recording this from my home to your small business. For those still keeping track, this is now incredibly show number 687. This episode is brought to you by Nice Job, the amazing tool that can make it easy to build more reviews to grow your small business. To get started, go to www.nicejob.com, use the code word Barry, and get $50 off. It's also sponsored by Truly Financial, banking that puts money back into your business. Get a free copy of my new book, Change Masters, how to actually make the changes you already know you need to make by signing up for an account. Go to www.trulyfinancial.com slash Barry. So who in this country knows more about what makes entrepreneurs tick than John Lee Dumas, who's the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire, an award-winning podcast with over a million listeners an episode where he interviews inspiring entrepreneurs. He's also the author of The Common Path to Uncommon Success, his 17-step roadmap to financial freedom and fulfillment. And most importantly, in 2011, you won Price is Right. That was the highlight of my life, Barry. <laughs> so we all want to know what happened there. How'd you end up in the studio and how'd you end up winning? I'll give you the quick story. So it was a veteran and I happened to be a veteran. So I was taking the day off from work just as a personal day. And my girlfriend at the time and I said, hey, we're living in San Diego. To the studio. It was so long that we didn't have a chance of getting in. And so everybody ended up leaving because we didn't get into the first. Pulling out, this guy comes running out saying, Hey, we're having a surprise second showing. We need more people for the second audience. And wow. so that was the only reason I got in. They ask you a few questions as you're going in. Long story short, one of the questions I said was, you know, I'm, I'm I'm just happy to be here as a veteran of the United States Army. And it was Veterans Day. So that was kind of a little kind of cheat code, essentially. And sure enough, my name was on the card. And boom, I got called down as the first person to get called down for that show. But I played the worst game, Barry, for the entire time, for all six showcases. Failed, 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 failed. Finally, the last one. I just bid $1. I got on stage. Um, it was for a car. Just lucked out again. It was a car price, right? And I had to putt. And I had to put things in order from cheapest to most expensive. I put them in the wrong, completely backwards order. So I had to putt from the furthest back spot. I missed the first one badly. Luckily, they gave me two putts. And I drilled the second one. Wow. Wow. What a great story. What a great legacy, JLD. Thank you. So, so tell us about you now live in Puerto Rico. It seems that all my business friends are moving to Puerto Rico. What's the attraction? Just the warm weather? Listen, I do not move to Puerto Rico unless you want to keep the money you make. If you're somebody who wants to keep, who wants to keep them, then you have to move to Puerto Rico, especially as American, you your business to Puerto Rico and you live here for six months in one day, you pay no federal tax, state tax, flat 4% tax. That's wow. it. And the other benefit is you pay 0% capital gains on stocks, on real estate, on cryptocurrency, 0%. It is Wow. Wow. And then you had a very traditional path coming out of school. You went to law school like so many people did. I mean, to my parents' eternal disappointment, I never became a doctor, never went to law school, but then you dropped (laughs) out. How'd you make that decision? I was miserable. I mean, I was absolutely miserable in law school. I knew that it was not for me for a number of reasons. And luckily, having been an officer in the U.S. Army, I did develop one thing called courage because it took a lot of courage the Army. It really did because my dad was a lawyer. So many people were counting on me and thinking that I was going to be this great, successful lawyer like your parents. They thought that was the end-all, be-all. 
And it just was not meant to be for a number of reasons. So I have to say that, uh, man, I am fortunate that I made that decision to leave law school. Those decisions of my life. And I really hope that parents, that means yours and mine, Barry, are the last generation that think being a doctor or a lawyer is a good thing because I hate to say it to anybody out there that's a doctor or a lawyer, but those are two terrible professions. We need our doctors. I don't think we really need lawyers, but we need our doctors. But man, it is really hard to find a happy doctor and it is really hard to find a happy lawyer. And I am so fortunate I avoided that path. Listen, I think in the Jewish culture, for me, it's going to take a long time before mothers and fathers don't want their sons or daughters to be doctors. That's too bad. <laughs> that's, really, that's really sad. It's really selfish. Right. It's selfish in theirs because they didn't want their friends. My, my son's a doctor. That is selfish. That is sad thinking. And I really hope it doesn't take as long as you think. Oh, I agree. So how'd you end up in the Army? Because, again, that's not necessarily a traditional path. Yeah, so I was 17 years old. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to go to college, but I didn't know, I didn't know how I was going to pay for college. And so my dad said, well, I did ROTC. You can do ROTC. And he went to Georgetown, which was a great school, very expensive I wanted to go to Providence College, which is also a great school, but very expensive, private school. And they had a great GC program, so I applied for it at 17 years old. Who knows anything? And sure enough, and I saw my name on the dotted line. I thought, hey, they're going to pay for everything, plus they're going to pay me $100 a week when I'm in, the, when I'm in college. And yeah, sure, I got to join the Army, but 22? When I'm 22 years old, that's like, a lifetime from now when you're 17 you don't think 22 is ever going to happen so i just kind of got you know in to rotc to pay for school and you know it was overall it was a good experience i learned a lot had some good times had some bad times and everything in between but that's how i ended up in the army but you did serve in iraq so it's not like you didn't have active duty right I was active duty. So I did four years as an active duty officer from 22 to 26. And during those four years, I did a 13-month tour of duty as a tank commander wow. in Iraq. Wow. I think most of us could never imagine ourselves there. But thank you for your service. One crazy thing that I found when I was looking you up was I went on your website. And I don't know anybody else that publishes their monthly financial statements on their website. Why do you do that, JLD? When I was 30 years old, really saying enough is enough with this traditional path of careers with finance and law school and all this other stuff that just wasn't working out for me, I turned to entrepreneurship. I turned to the online world and I said, is there like that's really adding value to the world that's not slimy, not kind of not seeming like they're making money? know the wrong way online but they're doing things the right way and still making money as an entrepreneur as an online marketer and i found this guy pat flim pushing a monthly report his family he seemed like a really cool person in fact i met him at a conference and he was kind really nice and i just said to myself at that moment that if i ever find a way to make money online podcasting or whatever venture that I do, I want to be the same inspiration to others that Pat made to, to realize that it's possible to do it the right way. So sure enough, about 13 months into my podcasting journey back in 2013, I started making significant money and I said, time to fulfill that promise. It's important. We actually just published our 100th consecutive monthly income wow. reports. <laughs> wow. And, and what's the reaction to people that are on your website and are using some of the tools that you recommend? Are people shocked by this or are they comforted by it? What are folks saying? The whole range of emotions. There are some people who are like, you know, that is just, you know, pure braggadocious. You, you must be super arrogant. Like, why are you just showing the world how much money you're making? you know, all the way to the middle where people are just like, hey, I find this really because 
what, what ways you're making money, what mistakes you're making to avoid, what successes you're having to emulate, like this is kind of helpful. Then all the way to the other end of the spectrum, which was me back in 2011 when I was 30 years old saying, oh my God, thank you. Because now that I'm seeing that you, there's somebody that can add real value to this world that, you know, that can be a good person and just really focusing on value first and they can still make money in this world like on, in the online world, as a podcaster, as an online marketer, as everything in between, that really gives me hope. So it's the full spectrum, you know, and for me, I know that my audience loves it and people that don't like it, they'll be detracted from that. And that's fine because I'm not trying to make everybody happy. I'm just trying to find my audience. So what I like about it is it kind of eliminates a lot of those posers that say they're making money online. You're actually saying exactly how much you're making online. So you're the real deal. I appreciate that. And that's actually exactly why every income report, I bring on my accountants, I bring on my lawyer, and I have my accountant give a legal tip. I have my lawyer give a, uh, a law tip, and I have my accountant give a tax tip, actually. And, you know, these people, they're professionals. They're not going to risk their, you know, degrees and their, and their, you know, actual name and their brand and their business to lie for one of their clients. So, I mean, it gives, like, credibility to what we're doing here. They're saying, hey, this is legit. You know, my obviously my accountant, you know, knows all my numbers, my lawyer, same thing. So we wanted to bring that kind of ability. And I completely agree with you. That's such a culture thing we're dealing with right now is somebody walking down the street in a Lamborghini parked and being like, oh, let me pretend this is my Lamborghini for five minutes, leaning against it, taking a picture, doing their thing. Or I got it on PPP, right? That's a good use of funds as well. Not true. <laughs> right, exactly. So, oh, so you've Lord. talked to, you know, over the last nine years, you've talked to 3,000 entrepreneurs. What do you think it takes to succeed? Because so many, so many times that's what people are after. That's what people ask me when I travel around the country talking to small business owners. What does it take? People try to make it confusing. They try to like really layer it as far as what it takes to be successful. But to me, it's so obvious because I've interviewed now, as we're speaking, over 3,500 successful entrepreneurs, I've seen, you know, what it takes, seen it from all different angles, comes up time and time again. And this is something that I've done as well. So I can speak from personal experience is to become successful, you need to create the best solution to an actual real problem in this world. Create the number one solution to a real problem in this world, the chance, because nobody wants the second best, the 10th best, the 100th best solution. They want the best solution to a real problem that they have. If you can do that, you have a chance. So how do you figure out whether it's a real problem or it's just a real problem in my mind, but other people, it's not a problem? Well, that's the thing is when you are creating this, have this very important step that I think everybody needs to take is you need to create your avatar. Your avatar is your perfect listener for your podcast, the perfect reader of your blog, the perfect of your product, your service, consumer of your content, whatever that person might be. And that avatar, that person's going to tell you what their biggest problem is. And then you can say, okay, I have an avatar. I know that this is their biggest problem. These are other huge problems they have. Which one can I and do I want to solve? Which one do I want to create the number one solution to? And then you go all in on that. And guess what, Barry? It doesn't always work out. You're not going right, to go exactly. bat a thousand with that. Sometimes, and, and this happens. I've not it worked out twice for me, times. so I get that. And that's what I'm talking about. Like, as an entrepreneur, if I have one grand slam out of every 20 swings that I'm taking, I'm a multimillionaire. And that's what I've done. Like, that's what I've done. And so, so many people miss three times, miss four times, miss five times, and they and they give up and they quit and they walk out the door. And that's too bad. Yeah, that was me when I sold my business in 1999 after failing twice before. And my wife said, no more businesses if you want to stay together. We're kind of done. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, no. she, she, was, uh, she was smart there. The problem, JLD, is that a lot of people, when they first start, they try to be everything to everybody because they're just trying to get some revenue or income. And to me, that kind of defeats the purpose of them being really successful. What do you think? It's so true. When you try to resonate with everybody, you will resonate with nobody. The worst thing you can do 
is be vague, is be broad with what you're doing because you're trying to quote unquote capture as big of an audience as possible. That's a huge, huge mistake. You are destined to fail. I call it niching your flipping face off. You need to niche down your idea three, four, sometimes even five times. I mean, Barry, think about 10 years ago. I wanted to launch a podcast. That's too broad. That's too vague. So business podcast. Okay, there's about 800 of them. Okay, well, that's too many people. So what about a business podcast that interviews entrepreneurs specifically? Okay, there were seven of them. Still too many because I don't want to be the eighth best because I would have been the worst of those seven. And then, okay, what if I do a daily podcast interviewing entrepreneurs? Zero existed. So I would have been the worst the best and the only the day that I launched. That is why I won. So how'd you end up doing a daily podcast? Because for me, I've been doing this job for um, a podcast around 13 years. Once a week is tough. How do you do it every day? Once a week is tough, but guess what? I knew if I launched a once a week show interviewing entrepreneurs like seven other shows out there, I would have lost because being the eighth best show interviewing entrepreneurs was not a recipe for success. So I said, what can I do that's different, that's unique? And then I also asked the question, what do I wish existed in this podcasting world that doesn't currently exist? And I was that listener complaining. I was complaining. I was saying, why do I listen to an amazing show on Monday that's 20 minutes long? I learn and I hear so much and I get so much inspiration and motivation. Then I got to wait seven days for the next episode to come live. Like I want to show that every day that I wake up, it's there waiting for me, a new dose of inspiration. And instead of complaining about it, I said, I give you a lot of credit because I know how much goes into doing it every single week. So I know you've interviewed 3,500 people. I won't ask you for your favorite, but what is one of the people that actually stands out as this person was really a great interview and I'm really great glad to have met him or her? Uh, the individual that jumps out to me is Aaron Walker. This is a person I did not know before. Just interviewing him, there's just this connection where this he just wanted to serve at such a high level. Things out of the interview, besides adding his decades and decades of business knowledge and experience, and it was so amazing. And then when the interview, he just went so far above and beyond promoting the episode to his audience, to everybody in his. Um, entire network that the show was a great success. And I can just remember being like, that's the kind of guest I wish seven days a week. And I mean, since then we've become great friends. That's the person that really stands out when I think of the person that I really was blown away with. Well, John Lee Dumas, who's the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire, JLD, thanks so much for being on the show. I sure would appreciate it. And let me know if I can help you in any way. Barry, this is fun. Thank you, brother. This is AM820 WCPT in Chicago. We'll be right back. Did you know that you can lose up to 5% on an invoice just because it's an international wire transfer? I know a lot of people are dealing with the same nonsense, and for small business owners, it hurts. I was dealing with the same painful fees, too, until I found Truly Financial. I like that they're the everyday global bank that business owners actually need. In fact, I like them so much that I'm partnering with them to bring you this special offer. Open a Truly Financial account and get a free copy of my new book, Change Masters. How to actually make the changes you already know you need to make. It's time to start saving on bank fees. No pain, all gain. Go to www.trulyfinancial.com slash Barry and truly is spelled T-R-U-L-Y and get a free copy of my new book, Change Masters. Stick around to get your small business unstuck. More of Small Business Radio with Barry Moltz. Now on WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk. When it comes to keeping your employees this year, You have to do a lot more listening than talking. That's hard for a lot of small business owners who are used to telling their teams 
and not actively listening to what they need. Here to help is Adam Bandelli, PhD, who's the managing director at Bandelli & Associates, a boutique consulting firm focusing on leadership advisory services and organizational effectiveness. He's the author of a new book called Relational Intelligence, The Five Essential Skills You Need to Build Life-Changing Results. Adam, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, it's hard for small business owners to listen because they're so used to telling people what to do. You know, a certain amount of ego is really the start, I believe, of any entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's absolutely correct. And, and so how do you make that shift and really start listening more than you're talking? Yeah, I mean, I really think it starts from a core understanding that you want to build businesses where people feel engaged and you want employees who are loyal and committed to whatever business you're trying to put forth into the market. Um, and so to do that, you have to practice what I call relational intelligence, uh, which is the ability to successfully connect with people and build strong, long-lasting relationships. So if leaders can start to practice the five skills that we'll talk about in a little bit, um, it really helps you to move from a mindset of doing and being the one in charge to really doing it collectively and creating a employee engagement level where people feel valued and appreciated and they can connect to the goals of your business. So how is relationship intelligence different than just being friends with people? Yeah, it's a great, great question. So when you think about relational intelligence, it's really about the intention of being smart about your relationships. And so what I mean by that is there are certain skills you need to practice to first connect with people. And that is the first part. You want to have a connection with them. But for you to really unlock their true potential and tap into things like diversity and developing trust and ultimately having the influence on them to grow, develop and achieve great financial productivity for your company, there are different factors that make it a little more broader than just being a people person or being good with soft skills. It goes deeper around this idea of intentionality. So is the start active listening to really hear what people are saying and care about it? Yeah, so there's five skills of relational intelligence. The first one is establishing rapport. And establishing rapport is really about um, the initial stages when you meet someone. So active listening, yes, that's part of it. Making good eye contact, first impressions, nonverbal communication and body language. The key piece here with active listening is to find common ground with people. So yes, that is the foundational skill for relational intelligence. So let's talk about the first one, rapport. I think a lot of people have a hard time with rapport, just like they have a hard time remembering people's name is because when they yeah. meet someone, they're yeah. just thinking about what they're gonna say next and they're not open to hearing what that person actually says initially. How yeah. do you change yeah. that? I think you have to come at relationships in terms of a continual investment that you're making. Um, and if you think about it in that way, you think about showing up with curiosity, showing up with inquisitiveness, it brings you to a standpoint where you're not really focused on what you're doing and what you're saying, but it's more on understanding and having a connection with that other person. Um, but there are a lot of factors that play into that. You know, your own self-perceptions, -perce your confidence or lack thereof, the perceptions you have of other people. So there are factors that can kind of help or hinder you when you're initially connecting with people and establishing rapport. Um, so there's a variety of factors that play. I find that sometimes it's hard to establish rapport for people because they're nervous when they yeah. go out. And, and so how do you, I guess, calm down and really just relax into it? Yeah. Yeah. So in the book, I talk about this concept called know thyself or the mirror test. And what that really is, is before you're building relationships with people and getting out there into the world, you really need to do some homework on yourself and get a sense of what your strengths are, what your opportunities are, what your values and beliefs are and how they show up as a small business owner. Uh, a lot of times people are more hesitant to share themselves or express themselves if they haven't done that work on them. Um, with our clients all the time, we talk about figuring out your leadership brand or for a small business owner, what is the brand of your company? What is the brand of you as a founder of that company? And so if you do the homework on yourself, you have a much more positive likelihood to connect with people on a deeper level. It's interesting because it's almost like dating, because if you're comfortable with yourself in dating, you'll be more successful yeah. in dating. Yeah, yeah. I, I say it's almost so in the book, the first half of the book, we talk about the five skills. So the five skills, again, are establishing rapport understanding others, embracing individual differences, developing trust and cultivating influence. So that's the first part of the book. The second part of the book, this is a skill set that does not apply to business owners or companies. It's a skill set that evolves and focuses on our personal life and our professional life. So you mentioned dating. It's really, really interesting. There's a whole chapter on dating in the book. 
And if you think about dating on a large scale continuum, there's really four different stages of dating. There's the honeymoon phase. So that's for anyone using online dating or the apps. That's the first time you meet someone. Um, what really plays in there is establishing rapport, maintaining eye contact. You can end the date very quickly if you're not paying attention to the other person. Um, it includes understanding others, having good EQ, knowing how to read your emotions and the emotions of the person across from you. Once you kind of get out of that honeymoon phase the first couple months, you move into what I call the reality phase. This is where you say, oh, I got in <laughs> I'm with someone that I may not want to be with. And a lot of relationships end during those periods in, in this continuum because people are not embracing another person's perspectives or acknowledging diversity or understanding their background and upbringing. Um, if you get through that phase and the two people want to be in the relationship further, you move into the adjustment phase. And this is so critical where developing trust takes place. And trust is the most important skill in relational intelligence. And trust is really about vulnerability. Are you going to show sides of yourself that you may not show to the rest of the world? If you do that, you move to the last stage, which is lasting intimacy. And this is really about cultivating influence on your partner. Um, influence, we define it at the firm here, is about having a positive impact on the lives of others. And so dynamic, life-changing relationships with your partner or your spouse, you were able to bring the best out of them and inspire them to be all that they can be. So I just want to go through the five real slowly because you said them pretty quickly. So, the, so yep. just go through them again. Yeah, so the first skill is establishing rapport. And again, this is the initial connection that you make with another person. Things like eye contact, body language, finding common ground. That's really important there. Um, understanding others. This is the skill about being intentional and in putting in time and effort to get to know another person on a deep level. Things like having good EQ, being an active listener being curious and inquisitive, and really being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes, the idea of empathy. The third skill is embracing individual differences. This is really the diversity or inclusion bucket, and it's about acknowledging and accepting that everyone comes from different backgrounds and experiences, be it race, uh, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, cross-cultural factors, neurodiversity, mental health, spirituality, religion, can you accept people for who they are and value that they can be different from you and still add value to your life or the lives of others? Developing trust is the fourth skill. This is the most important skill in relational intelligence. Again, it's about being vulnerable and taking a risk to be exposed to the actions and behaviors of others. Uh, things like commitment and consistency and integrity and character, they play a big role when it comes to trust. And then the last skill, as I mentioned, is cultivating influence. And this is the most powerful skill of relational intelligence. And we define, again, influence as the ability to have a positive impact on the lives of others. So in organizational settings or with small businesses, it's about putting people in culture first. Yeah. So let's let's try, again, let's try to map these to small businesses. So we talked about before understanding others. You, you discuss in the book how important empathy is in the workplace. And I think empathy is more important than ever because of what people are going through. Where yeah. does that start? Yeah, empathy starts with really being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. It's uh, especially when we look at we're coming out of the pandemic now. It's about asking people just how they're doing. How are they balancing life now? Because most people are working from home, and I think small business owners probably have people coming back more than larger organizations, is are you creating a psychologically safe space for them to feel like they can contribute to what they're doing in your small business? And if you create that environment and you create that culture, you're really bringing the best out of others. So some people actually go through the motions of really understanding others, but they yep. really don't care. Why is yep. it so important to actually care? And if you have a hard time caring, what steps can you take to yeah. actually train yourself to yep. really care about these folks? Yeah, that's such a great question. So look, we're in the great resignation right now, and that is affecting large companies, it's affecting small business owners, employees and job candidates have many options today. And so I would make the strong argument that you need to care at least a little bit. It doesn't have to be kumbaya and everyone's breaking bread over the fire, but you have to be creating an environment where people feel that they're valued and that they can contribute to what you're trying to accomplish with your small business. So the argument here is you don't need to be everyone's best friend, but you need to take time to make people feel that they're important and that what they're doing for your business really matters beyond just the bottom line. Right. And, Again, and, right. and how it fits into the mission of the company and why they're critical. That's right. The mission, the vision. You look at those things that happened with social justice in 2020. Many companies, small businesses or larger, focus now on purpose. What is the reason we come together 
just not beyond our mission, but what is the purpose we want to serve our customers? Yeah, I find that number three, given what's going on in society is difficult, is celebrating individual differences. Our, yeah. our country has become so tribal that people yeah. just want to be with people that are like them. I'm, I'm guilty of that. Again, yeah. how do you pause and really celebrate individual differences instead of wanting everyone in the company to be the same? Yeah, I mean, again, the research that we've seen in the field of organizational psychology is that when you bring people around the table who are different, it's this idea of diversity of thought. If you can have a group of folks who are different, whatever the differences are, it leads to greater levels of innovation and creativity. And so what the research shows is companies who are very adaptive and very agile, small business or large company, the more you can bring a variety of diversity there. Um, and there's this saying, you know, diversity is being invited to the party. Equity is being invited to dance at the party, but inclusion is being invited to help plan the party. So when you have an inclusive culture, small business or large, you make people feel like their voice matters and that they have a seat at the table. You know, and number four is develop trust. And I think one of the things I can't stand hearing when I'm inside of a company is when owners say to employees or members of the team, just trust me. Because it just doesn't work that way. Trust is developed over a long period of time, right? That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And the leader who's saying that needs to extend trust first. A lot of leaders that I work with, especially in small businesses, they will say to their well, they won't say to their employees, but they'll have these behaviors. You need to prove to me that I can trust you. Right. And that's really the wrong way to do it. You have to extend trust and show vulnerability. Again, you don't have to show personal vulnerability, but give your people the freedom and the bandwidth to take on opportunities to do the work well. If you hire really good people, you got to give them the freedom and the power to perform. You know, I find that some uh, one way that people, managers are not extending trust is they're so worried about people working at home that mm -hmm. if they can't see them at their desk, yep. They yep. think that if they're home, they're just kind of screwing off. And, and again, I think that we have to, again, trust folks that they're doing their work at home. Again, if we see the value from their work, then it's fine. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. I mean, at my firm, uh, we've been remote now for two years. We don't have any plans to go back to an office, but I trust my team. I hire and select people based on skills that we believe are important. Relational intelligence is one of them. Character and integrity is another one. So if you have people who are bought into your mission, they understand the vision of what you're trying to create, and they are bought into the values and the principles that you have. It shouldn't matter if they're working in an office or in their shoebox or on a <laughs> – they should be able to work and get the stuff done that you need them to. And you have to trust them to do that. So talk about the, the fifth skill, which is cultivating influence, because it seems to me that's the goal of all this. Yeah, that's really the goal. That's where the life-changing dynamic power comes of relational intelligence. As I mentioned earlier, it's the most powerful skill in the framework. And influence is about the ability to have a positive impact on other people's lives. So as a small business owner, you want to reach financial profitability. You want your business to grow. Well, if you are investing in your people and not just paying them, if you're showing them that they value, if you're putting the culture of the company first, whether you have four employees or 100 employees, um, helping your people become better versions of themselves. It's not about manipulation, controlling people or authority. It's really about having a positive influence on their lives. And as a business owner, as a founder, there's a lot that you can share and sow into the people that work for you. And being intentional about that is important. So, Adam, especially now, so many people are changing employers. You know, they're leaving, they're going someplace else. What do you yeah. think employees this day really want from their managers uh, yeah. who run these companies? Yeah, so there's really two different kind of camps that I would say focus on. If we're talking about any small business owner, um, you really need to take care of some of the foundation essentials, pay, compensation, pay your people well for what they do. But then it goes a step further. This is where relational intelligence plays a really important role. You want to build connections with your people where they feel valued, appreciated, and they're adding to the mission and vision of your organization. And then you really have to develop them. So that is kind of on one side of the table. The other side of the table for a small business owner is, are you understanding the different types of employees you might be hiring? So millennials versus Gen Z, there are different things that are important to those groups compared to Gen X or uh, baby boomers. And so can you bring people on and understand what that generation wants? So I'll give you a perfect example. Gen Z, they're very passionate about purpose, social responsibility. They want their work to have meaning. Millennials, on the other hand, they want the freedom and the autonomy to do what they need to do when they want to do it. They want people who help with their development. So there are different things that affect different generations. 
We're baby boomers. They're used to putting in hard work. They're not going to look for anything on top of that. So as a business owner, selecting your employees is so critical. And understanding who you're bringing into your business is what matters most. Um, I appreciate being on the show. The title of the book is Relational Intelligence, The Five Essential Skills You Need to Build Life-Changing Relationships. Where can people get in touch with you and learn more about your work? Yeah, absolutely. So the book is coming out in May. It'll be available everywhere books are sold. So Barnes and Noble, Apple, Amazon. Um, you can tell your listeners to follow us on Instagram. It's official underscore Bandelli Associates. Again, official underscore Bandelli Associates. And you can also follow us on the web at bandelliassociates.com or follow me, Adam Bandelli, on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. Adam, thanks again. This is AMA20 WCPT in Chicago. We'll be right back. Are you looking to grow your service business? Nice Job is reputation marketing software to help your business collect two to three times more reviews on Google, Facebook, and platforms that matter. You'll also get automated marketing tools to help you share that social proof to get more leads and sales. Start your 14-day trial at https colon slash slash nicejob.grsm.io slash Barry. Use Barry, the code word, and you'll get $50 off your Nice Job review plan. I just hate the way big banks treat small businesses. They're always a gotcha. High fees, no rewards, minimum balances. So what's in it for you? Now comes a bank that gets small businesses. Truly Financial gives you a corporate visa card, a checking account, and up to 2.5% cash back on every single dollar your business spends. That's why I'm partnering with them to bring you a special offer. Go to trulyfinancial.com slash Barry and learn about how you can get all these benefits for your company and get a free copy of my new book, Change Masters, how to make the changes you already know you need to make when you open an account. So go to trulyfinancial.com slash Barry and truly spelled T-R-U-L-Y and get a free copy of my book, Change Masters. Stick around to get your small business unstuck. More of Small Business Radio with Barry Moltz. Now on WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk. Well, let's face it, the way that most small business owners use social media is to post things and hope that increases their business. But what if you could actually monetize your social media stream directly? Here to help is entrepreneur Ariel Carr, who's a dynamic 27-year-old Instagram monetization expert and serial entrepreneur who uses her online presence to encourage people to make money online. This Virginia-based businesswoman launched several online businesses and eBooks and courses that focus on helping budding entrepreneurs monetize their Instagram. It only took 90 days to generate over $100,000 in sales through social media alone. Ariel, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, your story seems like a dream to most small business owners. Tell us how you did it. Well, I started out with digital products. So I released my first ebook back in 2020. And it seems to be a very opportune time um, because a lot of people were moving to start online brands during that time. You know, COVID kind of gave some more time for people. And so I released this ebook on Instagram growth. Um, I, ha- I released it at around 1,000 followers. And I was using the tactics that I was teaching others and I was applying it to myself. So while I was growing my page, um, I was showcasing basically the social proof that my ebook works. So a lot of people bought into it because they saw in real time the results I was getting. And so what's, what were some of the te- techniques in that ebook? Um, it was going over a lot of things. So hashtag strategy, how to use hashtags to boost your reach, what type of content you need to have in order to attract the following and actually convert them into buyers. Um, It went over the different types of content. So how you need to be present on Instagram stories versus in-feed posts. So those are just like the regular photos versus going live. So all these different content types and what And I studied like what performs well for the algorithm. So I was showcasing um, what type of content actually brings value 
to people's industries. And so is this the ebook that made you $100,000 in 90 days? Yes, it was. That's that ebook. So you must have been a little surprised. I I was. <laughs> I was very surprised. I did not necessarily have that goal in mind. Um, I thought it would be cool if I earned an extra, you know, 100 bucks here and there just to cover groceries. <laughs> but to my surprise, it did very well in such a short amount of time. And so what were you selling it for? So you, you post this on Instagram and then people can buy it? Correct. So I was using this platform uh, to host my ebook. And so people could check out, you know, through the website link I had featured, but I was just promoting it through Instagram. 99% of my sales came from Instagram. Other 1% came from Twitter. So just social media alone, just promoting it. But if you only had a thousand followers, how did people find you? Well, I was growing my page simultaneously. So I would, you know, I had a thousand followers to start with and I got a few sales on the first day when I actually launched, but I realized, you know, you have to get more exposure. You have to reach new people. So that's when I started focusing heavily on those growth techniques that I had inside the ebook. And I would get in front of other people's audiences and do a lot of collaborations. So I would go live with other people that had a bigger following than me. I would do uh, promotional posts on other pages. So there are some pages out there that just you know, they promote other business owners or they promote women entrepreneurs. So I would get featured on those pages a lot and I got a lot of following from them. So, you know, a lot of uh, in social media, people have a lot of followers. It doesn't mean they turn them into buyers. How do you do mm -hmm. that? Yeah, that is a misconception that people believe you need to have a lot of followers in order to get a lot of money. But it's it's really not true. Um but there, there is a key to monetizing. There's also a lot of people that have followers, like you said, and they aren't, they aren't making money from their followers. So there's a difference between just putting out content and relating to people and maybe like you're entertaining people versus putting out content that is marketing. So the difference really is having something that's valuable. So I always focus on three content types for my page. So I always tell people your content needs to fall under either the educational category where you're teaching somebody something, um, the inspiration category where you're motivating people. And that usually gets a lot of likes, a lot of saves, a lot of shares. And then the last category is entertaining. And that's where you relate to people. That's where you bring out your personality and you connect with your followers. And it's more so about building a community than just building a bunch of followers. And that's really the difference. So there's there's three things you talk about, education, inspiration, entertaining. Which one actually turns them into buyers? Or is it a combination of all three? It's a combination of all three. So you, you need all of those all the time because um, they serve different purposes. You know, you want to warm up your audience. You have to nurture them. There's some people that don't know who you are. So that's where the educational piece comes in. That's where you let them know like, okay, here's my offer. And you educate them on your offer. Or you're also educating them on your actual expertise. So you start showing your credibility, your authority, and people understand like, okay, I could trust this person because she clearly knows what she's talking about. And they're more likely to buy into your business. And then with the other categories, that's more so for engagement purposes. So letting you know people know your personality and entertaining them that way. And then inspiring people, um, that just helps with the algorithm in general. People love to hear about your wins. They love to hear motivation. And sometimes people need that in order to invest in your business. They need to understand like to get over these mindset hurdles to buy into whatever it is you're selling. So am I really putting out there in my content strategy equal parts of, uh, of each of these three? Yeah, you could say that. Um, I like to focus heavily on the engagement factor. So maybe if I were to break it down into percentages, I would say you would need to educate your audience maybe 60% of the time, inspire them maybe 20% of the time and the other 20% could be um, the entertaining piece where you just kind of show off your personality and it's just for engagement.
And so how do you actually do the monetization thing? Is there some place where you put a link in the post and it goes to someplace else? Uh, not exactly. So you can't put links directly in posts, but you can put a link, like a website link in your bio. So I always use call to actions, which is another key to monetizing. You have to tell people where they can go to get your offers. So you can put your website link in your bio, or sometimes I tell people to DM me and then I share them the link through messages. And so how many people DM you versus just go to the link? Depends. Um, some posts, I'm like, click the link in my bio and then people go straight there. Other times I'm saying to DM me a keyword and they'll, you know, I'll get a lot of DMs depending because, you know, I have a larger following, but I use a lot of template messages. So I have a script that I just copy and paste to everyone that sends me that keyword. And then that gives them some more background on the offer I'm promoting at the time. And then they get the link to it so they can purchase. So if you really do want to do $100,000, let's say over even 12 months, where do you start, Ariel? You'll have to start with showing up consistently. Um, and particularly pumping out content that is valuable. So first you'll have to pick a niche um, that you know you're you're knowledgeable of something you're passionate about, something you know, um, something that you can relate to, and make content around that. So I I tell people that they need a theme to their page. So all your content should revolve around this theme, or at least like ninety percent of it. Um, and you pick out your content pillars, which is just a fancy way of saying you have subtopics. So when I was first generating, you know, my $100,000, I was really focused on like my overall theme was wealth. And then my subtopics were personal finance, entrepreneurship motivation. And I was talking about real estate a lot. So that was one of my subtopics and all my content revolved around that. So I attracted people that were interested in that. And because they were interested in my content, they were then interested in my offer. So my advice would just be to pump out content that you know will relate to your target audience. And then how do you how do you get your followers to grow? Because I think it's a hard hard. A lot of people use the strategy of oh I'll follow them and then maybe they'll follow me back. Or is there a better way? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So right now it's about reels. So it's about short video content. Um, that is what Instagram is pumping right now. They're trying to compete with TikTok. So that is what everything is about right now online. And that is the number one growth technique for 2022. So you, you pretty much have to get comfortable as a video content creator. I know a lot of business owners may not necessarily want to do that, but you, you don't necessarily have to show your face in these videos. You know, you can either have other influencers do the videos for you. You can get creative and not show your face at all. But it is almost a requirement for this year. And that is also what Instagram is pushing to grow your page. Like those posts have the biggest amount of reach out of any other Instagram feature. So if I, if I have a little video and I'm trying to think, should I do a, should I post it to reels or am I just my static feed? You're saying definitely post it to reels. Definitely post it to reels. Yes. You will get way more reach there. And can people respond the same way on the reels as they can in a static post? Because I get confused sometimes with Facebook, which one you can actually respond directly to. Yes. Um, people can comment the same way as if it were a regular post. The nice thing about Reels is that it goes beyond who follows you. So that's why the reach is so broad, is that people don't have to follow you in order to find your Reel. Um, and yes, they can respond the same way. When you say find the Reel, because when I look at the Reels, it's just the stuff at the top and it's usually the people that I follow the most or click on the most. I don't usually see mm -hmm. random folks. Yeah, no, you can see random people. So if you're on Instagram, for instance, the main button now is like the Reels Explore page. Got and it. so if you scroll through, it'll it'll probably, you know, end up being people you don't follow at all. And so what in your experience, what do you find are some of the uh, tips and tricks for things really to go viral to get a much larger audience than you expected? Yeah, so there are definitely best practices to going viral. 
Um, for reels in particular, it's about uh, having shorter videos. They shorter videos do better than longer ones. So normally like seven to 15 seconds long. Um, they usually involve trending audio. So, you know, there's a lot of audio that creators use and you'll notice that like, oh, I've heard this song before and this person uses, is using this song. It must be trending. And so if you put that into your reel, that helps with the algorithm as well. And another key takeaway is to have text in your reels. Um, a lot of people kind of miss that when they're creating video. You want to have subtitles or you want to have text. You know, you want to keep people's attention span. And a lot of camera cuts help too. So either transitions or just like some sort of cuts so you can keep up their their interests. So how does the music work since let's say this music is already licensed? Yeah, so there there is some workarounds for that. Um, sometimes you can't use commercial sounds. Sometimes you, you really can't. Um, if you, I believe if you have a certain account, you can use them. I think you have to be in the category of an entrepreneur in order to use all commercial sounds, but I'm actually not hundred percent, but the workaround is that you can take a sound from another person's reel um, and use it. So say someone's using a commercial sound or something you can press save audio and then you can use it that way. Wow. So if someone's already using it, you just take whatever they're doing. Correct. Yep. And then you use it on your reel. Yep. Wow. It's, it's, it's just amazing and because they figured if Instagram allowed it there, it's going to allow it again. Yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely some workarounds to it. Mm -hmm. Well, Ariel, I appreciate you being on the show. Where can people learn more about the work you're doing and monetizing Instagram? Of course. Um, you guys can find me at Ariel Carr. That's A-R-I-E-L-C-A-R-R. -R. And I'm present on Instagram and Twitter. So that's the same username. If you guys want any resources, I have a bunch to choose from. I have eBooks on Instagram growth. I have courses on how to write the perfect caption so you can convert your followers into buyers. And I actually have a webinar coming up that's completely free. It's a live training and that'll be out next week. Ariel, thanks for joining us. And I want to thank everyone for joining this week's radio show. I got to thank our sponsors, Nice Job, the amazing tool that can make it easy to build more reviews to grow your business. To get started, go to www.nicejob.com and use the code word Barry for $50 off. I also want to thank Truly Financial, banking that puts money back into your business. Get a free copy of my new book, Change Masters, how to actually make the changes you already know you need to make by signing up for a free account. Go to www.trulyfinancial.com slash Barry. Thanks to our incredible staff who make it all work while I'm recording from home and they're still in the studio, especially our booking producer, Sarah Schaffrin, our in-studio producer, Lady B, our marketing manager, Courtney Gilchrist. If you're serious about being successful in 2022, you got to give me a call on my private line, 773-837-8250, or email me at barry at molts.com. Remember, love everyone, trust the few, and paddle your own canoe. Have a profitable and passionate week. You can find Barry Moltz on the web at barrymoltz.com or more episodes of Small Business Radio at smallbizradioshow.com.